only under perfect conditions were they willing to support me. And to me, that, that told me I needed to get out. I needed to change. Let me tell you, this is what happens when you walk into a non-VBAC supportive hospital. Not only in labor, I was pushing. Welcome to the Labor Lessons Podcast. Real life lessons from real life labor and delivery experiences. Offering support and the knowledge that you are not alone on your birthing journey. The purpose of this podcast is to educate based on others' past experiences. It is not intended as medical advice. I'm your host, Carly, C-section mom, VBAC mom, and mom who's simply passionate about birth. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Labor Lessons Podcast. Our lesson for today is that VBAC tolerant is not the same as VBAC supportive. So today we're going to be talking about VBACs. VBAC, V-B-A-C, stands for Vaginal Birth After Cesarean. In this episode, I'm going to go over the difference between a provider who is VBAC tolerant versus VBAC supportive, how I discovered that my provider was not VBAC supportive, and how to tell if yours is. I will also share what happened when I showed up to my non-VBAC supportive hospital in labor. So you would think that most providers would want you to have a vaginal birth after C-section. It's an easier recovery. It's a shorter hospital stay. But you will be surprised by how many do not encourage it, you know, for whatever reason. They get more money from a C-section. The hospital gets more money from a C-section. It's easier to schedule around holidays and their vacation plans. Uh, for liability reasons, or maybe because they hold the outdated belief that once a C-section, always a C-section. So the main distinction between providers who are tolerant versus truly supportive is that certain conditions are necessary in order for them to be in favor of you having a VBAC. So I'm just going to go through a little bit of a list here of what these conditions look like for a VBAC tolerant provider versus a VBAC supportive provider. So for a VBAC tolerant provider, they might put conditions on you that look like you have to go into labor on your own by 40 weeks. So they won't induce you and they won't let you go won't let you go past your due date. For a VBAC friendly provider, they don't put a limit on the length of your pregnancy. And they might give you, uh, they might offer you like a gentle induction. A VBAC tolerant provider might require you to have certain interventions, such as an epidural, just in case. Uh, whereas a VBAC friendly provider will will judge based off of how your labor is progressing, um, how you're feeling, how you're tolerating labor, how your baby's tolerating labor before uh, introducing any interventions. A VBAC tolerant provider will want you to schedule a repeat C-section by 37, 38 weeks, just in case, um, whereas a, a supportive provider will, will wait until about 39, 40 weeks um, to possibly, possibly schedule a repeat C-section. A VBAC tolerant provider will give you an acceptable birth weight limit for your baby. So this looks like, well, if your baby isn't bigger than nine pounds or isn't bigger than eight and a half pounds based 
off of an ultrasound that you have. Whereas a VBAC friendly provider, a VBAC supportive provider, will not put certain restrictions on whether or not you can try for a vaginal birth based on the weight of your baby. Uh, a VBAC tolerant provider will downplay, they might downplay the risks of a C-section versus a VBAC, or they might emphasize the risk of uterine rupture in a VBAC over the risks of a C-section. A VBAC supportive provider will go over the risks of both a VBAC and a repeat C-section with you. A VBAC tolerant provider will use a VBAC calculator to predict your odds of success. Now, this is unreliable, outdated, and up until very recently, very recently, included race as a factor. And your score would be lowered dramatically if you selected African-American or Hispanic. Now, you might be able to find an outdated one online if you Googled it and tested it out um, and just see how your score changes from entering Caucasian to Hispanic or African-American. A VBAC supportive provider um, will look at your previous pregnancy and your current pregnancy to help determine your chance of VBAC success. Um, and they will not put they will not use they won't put limits on it based on a score that you take from a test. A VBAC tolerant provider might want labor to progress at a certain rate. So you need to be dilating uh, two centimeters every hour or two centimeters every two hours, uh, whereas a VBAC supportive provider will not place limits on how fast or slow you need. they need labor to progress for you to be successful. Uh, there is a great article by the VBAC link um, that I will post in the show notes. I'll post the link to this in the show notes. The VBAC link that goes over the different providers who could deliver your baby, such as a midwife, an OBGYN, a, a family medicine doctor. And there's a list of questions that you can ask your provider to determine if they will if they will fully support you on your VBAC journey now. I read this article and I read some of these questions and these are some of the questions that I asked my doctor in addition to um, coming up with my own questions when I was determining whether or not my doctor was VBAC supportive. And I highly recommend the VBAC link for anyone who is pursuing a VBAC. They have a great podcast. They give a lot of great information. They have inspirational stories. Um, and a fun fact for you, episode number 187 is my story. So if you're interested in hearing my whole story, my C-section and VBAC story, uh, check it out. So after my C-section, I was told I could VBAC if my deliveries were 18 months apart. Um, I got pregnant at 15 months postpartum, so my babies would be 24 months apart. So I was in the clear as far as that goes. Uh, the first red flag for me was at my first appointment after my dating ultrasound. Um, I had been tracking my cycle, so I knew when I ovulated, and the ultrasound confirmed that for me. Now, for my first pregnancy, they had told me that they always base the due dates off of the off of the dating ultrasound. It's the most accurate way to do it. Uh, but when I went for my appointment after my ultrasound, my doctor told me that she would be basing my due date on my last period instead of my ultrasound, which would make my due date three days earlier. So based on my ultrasound, I was due December 15th. Based on what my doctor was going off of my last period, I was due December 12th, which is a three days difference. Uh, which might not seem like a big deal, but when you have a provider who tells you they won't let you go past 40 weeks or you have to have a repeat C-section by 40 weeks, um, that three days could make a difference. And 
actually, for me, that three days would have made a difference. My baby was born on her due date. My VBAC baby was born on her due date, December 15th. So at the time, this might not have been a big deal. But once once the time came for me to deliver my baby, um, it would have been those three days would have made the difference between possibly having a successful VBAC and possibly being pressured into a repeat C-section. So it was at this point that I began to do some research on on VBACs. I joined my local ICANN Facebook group where I had found out from other women that the hospital I was delivering at was not VBAC friendly um, and my providers were not very VBAC friendly supportive and they would probably pull a bait and switch on me. So this is when the doctor tells you, yeah, yeah, we'll support you. You know, we're fully on board with whatever decisions you want to make. And then towards the end, when you're more vulnerable, uh, you're not as likely to change providers. They tell you, well, oh, well, you know, we think a repeat C-section might be a better idea. That's called a bait and switch. So they bait you in. And then at the end, they switch their their uh, they, they switch their tune, I guess. Um, I went to my 24-week appointment with a list of questions. Armed, I was armed with a list of questions to ask my doctor, and I was expecting red flags. And my doctor did not disappoint. She had put so many conditions on what I needed, on on how my labor needed to go to be successful for her to support my VBAC. Uh, she started out with the usual, you know, well, if your baby's not too big. And I was like, well, what qualifies as a big baby? My last baby was eight pounds, two ounces. Yeah, that's pretty big. If this one is around the same size, we'd probably recommend a repeat C-section. Red flag. Uh, well, we don't usually induce for a VBAC. Red flag. Uh, well, it's possible that your pelvis is too small to get your baby out. Red flag. Um, if there's, you know, a full moon at the same time as an eclipse and there, you know, Halley's Comet just happens to be passing by, then, you know, we'll absolutely support your VBAC, which tells me that only under perfect conditions were they willing to support me. And to me, that that told me I needed to get out. I needed to change. And now for the part of the show that I like to call ridiculous things my husband has said to me while pregnant. Ladies, why is it that guys just seem to say the dumbest things? Because they don't think before they speak? Because they're trying to be funny? When I was pregnant with my second daughter, I was wanting to switch from an OBGYN to a midwife. I told my husband, hey, I think I'd like to switch to a midwife. And he says to me, a midwife? You mean a witch doctor? Ladies, he wasn't joking. He was being completely serious. so ridiculous if you've got a ridiculous thing your husband or boyfriend has said to you while pregnant visit me at laborlessons.com and we'll share it with the rest of the listeners now back to the episode so my doctor confirmed what i had suspected um and what my gut had told me what my intuition had told me and i knew that i couldn't risk attempting a v-back at a hospital that was as unsupportive as i suspected they were Um, so I changed providers. I started seeing a midwife at 28 weeks and not once, not once, never was I met with any conditions to be able to be back. Uh, there was never talk of scheduling a repeat C-section. There was no time limit for when I needed to go in labor. I was told that if I went to 42 weeks, we would talk about the best plan of action from there and induction would be first. They could do a gentle induction before a repeat C-section. Um, 
So my midwife and I came up with the plan that my best chance to have a successful VBAC was to go and medicate it. So I should labor at home as long as possible. So I was supposed to deliver at a very VBAC supportive hospital with my midwife. Uh, But if you listen to the previous episode, then you know that I labored at home too long uh, and was pushing before I left the house. And I had to go to the closest hospital, which was the hospital where I had my C-section. And (laughs) let me tell you, this is what happens when you walk into a non-VBAC supportive hospital, not only in labor. I mean, I was not just in labor. I was pushing. I was pushing my daughter out. I walked into the hospital and I was met with resistance. This is how it went. Have you given birth previously? Yes. Vaginal birth or C-section? C-section. Okay. So you're having another C-section? No, I'm pushing. I'm pushing my baby out. She's coming right now. I had the same conversation about five different times with five different five different variations of the same conversation. Vaginal birth or C-section? C-section. Okay, so we'll prep you for another one. Uh no. I was like incredulous in disbelief. Why are you why are you asking me if I'm having another C-section? This baby's coming out. I've made it past the point of of um you know, uh, I, I'm clearly not having a uterine rupture. Clearly my baby is not in distress. There's no there's no need other than the fact that you don't support a vaginal birth after a C-section, um, which is crazy. Um, yeah. Uh, so this was also during the time of COVID. So I was alone by myself in the hospital trying to advocate for myself and tell them that, no, I don't. I'm not having another C-section. Um, and had I not done some preparation for my VBAC, had I not done um, some fact gathering and... Um, and listening to other inspirational stories, I would not have had the strength and the confidence to advocate for myself and let them know, no, I'm not consenting to another C-section. I am pushing this baby out and I am I'm doing it. Even though I prepared to deliver at a VBAC friendly hospital with a VBAC, very VBAC supportive provider, uh, it is not the way that it ended up going. Um, And it's possible that I could have stayed with my original provider and had a successful VBAC at the same hospital. But if I was met with resistance walking in, pushing my baby out, I cannot imagine the pressure that I would have received had I walked in and been six centimeters, seven centimeters dilated and been pressured to progress as fast as they wanted me to while being threatened with a C-section. I made the choices that I did during my pregnancy to to try to have the, the best support that I could have. Um, and even though I did not get to deliver with my midwife, who was super VBAC supportive, I had the confidence to advocate for myself and for my baby. For those of you who are pursuing a VBAC, I recommend asking your provider some questions. Um, you can do a Google for how to tell if my provider is VBAC friendly versus VBAC tolerant or VBAC supportive. Uh, And you'll find a whole list of questions that you can ask. But if you are given some red flags um, or if you have that gut feeling that, you know, in the end, they're not going to support you, I suggest, I highly suggest that you consider an alternative provider. I think one of the biggest chances, one of the biggest factors to have a successful VBAC is to have a provider who supports you. You're in your most vulnerable when you're giving birth and you are 
able to be, I don't want to say you're able to be easily manipulated, but sometimes providers take advantage of the fact that you're vulnerable, that you're willing to take their advice without asking questions. So for me, one of the biggest factors for success to have a successful VBAC is to have a supportive provider. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of the Labor Lessons Podcast. Next week, I have the privilege of interviewing my sister, Lauren, and hearing about her birth experience. If you enjoy this podcast, please follow us on your podcast listening app so you can be notified when the next episode drops. Until next time.